Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Bluefish Design in Tempe, Arizona. Bluefish Design is an innovative, full-service ad agency. They'll work with you on logo, brand development. They'll work with you on your interactive and digital media. If you're looking to rebrand your company, go talk to them. If you're starting out a company, go talk to them. They're not trapped in the 80s or 90s. They have a group of young, fun, hip professionals. They'll take your company to today, tomorrow, and the future. So please look them up online. It's www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode, all about higher-end wines, stuff to break, take to a holiday party, stuff to impress your boss. And of course, John and I get into all sorts of arguments on this one. So enjoy. Late night podcast, Monday night. Talking about Cashmere's Wine Bar. Cashmere's Wine Bar. Out of business. It's crazy. Owners of Cowboy Chow, Cashmere's. And didn't he have another one? He actually, I never found out if he's going to be closing the one in the airport. Uh. If that's all wrapped up into his bankruptcy, whatever, foreclosure. No idea. Yeah, it's funny because we were talking a long time ago about what happened with all the wines from Cashmere's. Because Cashmere's had, what, like 20,000 bottles of wine on their menu at one point? They went downhill, though. Um, It used to have the best wine collection here in the Valley, hands down. Yeah. And then when the recession happened, right before then, the owner had decided he was going to open up three more restaurants. Mm. And then the bubble burst. The restaurants were built out. Pretty much ready to rock and roll, and they never opened. Yeah, that timing could have been worse. Completely built out, like finished, like signs up on, I think, one, at least one of them, if not two of them, and then they never opened. Damn, that's unfortunate. Yes. And then at that point, financially, I know he was probably hurting a little bit, and they started bleeding off some of their great wines, I think, to probably pay some bills. Mm. Then they opened up the airport location. The airport location was fantastic. Yeah, uh, everything in the airport's probably killing it. Well, it's easy to make money in the airport because... I mean, 24-hour business, basically. He, people are hungry and they drink fast. You yeah. know, you have to catch a flight, so... There's, yeah, there's no uh, there's no drinking hours at an airport, basically. It's just, hey, you show up and while it might be 9 a.m. here, it's noon where you're from. Or if you're from an international area, it could be 5 o'clock at night. And talk about turning tables. I mean, you got to catch a flight. Someone's like, I got to eat. I got to drink two beers. I'll take my check. I got to run. Yeah. And then somebody... Quit. Somebody, in and out. Yep. 15 minutes later, somebody else is in that same exact chair. Yeah. So I can't tell you how many times I've had a burrito and a beer before I got on a flight, and it was all within a 15-minute period. Yep. It's great money. So I know that pulled him out of some issues um, financially was the airport location, but I know he tried to open and start a app based yeah, on I remember wine. they came in and tried to show us. Yeah. Kaz, so, Kazat? Kaz, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I think that kind of i wonder if he just would have stayed at just cashmere's and cowboy chow if he would have just been wildly successful mm. forever and ever and ever instead of trying to diversify and do other things maybe because i remember the last time i went to cashmere's like the month before it closed their menu was pretty much nothing at that point they just had a few bottles and beers on the menu they got, totally got rid of like their holy crap list of you'd sit there and look at it for five minutes and decide you weren't going to drink all the expensive stuff. It hit a point, though, where you'd ask for a bottle of wine off the list and the guy would come back 10 minutes later and say, sorry, we're out of that one. Yeah. So I had that happen a lot. A lot. And then I started actually going and saying, okay, here's my first choice. Here's my second choice. If you don't have A, bring B. And then they'd show up and they'd be like, well, I don't have A or B. I will tell you, that is so frustrating when you go to a certain restaurant 
and they've got on this menu some cool bottle that you really want. And you're like, yeah, I'll take that. And then they go back and then, you know, like five minutes later, they come back and say, sorry, we don't have that. And I, I would like, I think maybe as like a customer, I would like for either A, to be have the menu updated, which I know you can't do all the time, but, you know, you kind of can. Or at least have the server or SOM come back with a bottle and be like, listen, we don't have that, but I, this is made by the same winemaker, or this is the same vineyard, or this is super, super close. Because if I had a SOM come up to me, let's say I'm getting like a $70 Pinot, and I go, oh, I really want this Pinot, and he goes, great perfect walks away and he's back and goes crap it's not here if i was a psalm i'd immediately grab two other pinots that were damn near close to it from whether it was the same vineyard winemaker or something that i knew was close and come back like hey listen i really apologize we don't have that but i have these two bottles and i promise you they are going to be just as close to this one and it's something new to try i'd be i would be totally cool it'd be yeah cool man i'll take that one they used to run a psalm regularly there that was a full-time employee and then i think that Duty went to a manager at one point. Really? Instead of a psalm. So, of course, managers uh, running a restaurant. Because I, so. I never had that experience with that. Yeah, when I first started selling wine to them 10, 12 years ago, they had a psalm on the floor. Who that's His whole job was to sell wines, order wines, taste wines. That was it. Okay. Yeah, I, I never had that experience. It was Mine was just whoever the server was. to be like, hey, can I order this? I'm like, cool, thank you, bye. And then they leave. And Same thing happened to us, what you were mentioning. Uh, we went out to dinner on Thursday night. And ordered a bottle off the, so they had the the regular by the glass list, and we're like, hey, do you have another list? He's like, oh yeah, and he server's excited, so we're gonna order off the the reserve list. Yeah, brings it over, order the first bottle, waiting, 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 waiting. Comes back and goes, oh, he's checking on it. Do you want to put some appetizers in? And we're like, yeah, we're gonna order this, this, and this for appetizers. How's that wine? Oh, manager's getting it. Mm. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Appetizers, appetizers show up on the table. Still don't have our bottle of wine. Finally, the server comes over and tells us. By the way, we don't have that one. Do you have another? Oof. Did you have another choice? We're like, all right. What about this one? He goes, all right. Let me go get it. Now, meanwhile, we're we're picking at our appetizers. We yeah. still don't have our bottle of wine. He comes back again, doesn't have it. At point, I look at him. I say, tell you what. Point to your list here and tell me which wines you actually have <laughs> and not the ones you don't have. Yeah. I mean, come on. This is Christmas like month. This is your I, busiest month to in Arizona in the restaurant business. Yeah. And you're shooting yourselves in the This is why people fail here is stuff like that. I mean, yeah. you, you, you haven't you have one opportunity. You have a fastball down the middle in December. Yeah. And and you're and you're caught looking. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, and it's weird because the more I think about that, the more restaurants I've been to where that seems to kind of happen. They'll have everything by the glass and whatever, but if you find that really cool, they build a menu out to seem like, oh, look at this awesome menu. We have a huge diversity of all the things you can get. But just kidding, we only have like actually only a quarter or like two thirds of this menu actually there and the rest of it. We only had one bottle of it and we sold it eight months ago, but it was too expensive to change the menu, even though it's not, it's just paper. We go through menus all the time at my winery and like, yeah, you guys got to update. You, you, you have to. And honestly, if you're at a point where you cannot update your menu, maybe switch to an iPad or something or something. Because there's one. What's that? What's yeah. that one place in the commons? They have an iPad and it tracks every single thing that they have. Sorsa or Sorsa or something like that. I haven't been there yet. It's OK. It's good. It's, I like the idea of it. We'll see how it does 
I mean, it's been there for like three years, but at least you know. The second you click on that bottle, they know if it's in that inventory because it's tracked. Like the second they beep it on like a little uh, like little scanner, it immediately pulls it out of the system. I mean, to make an excuse, you're a restaurant. Your job is food and drink. That's it. That's it. That's. Yeah. I, I understand you have. There's a lot of things that go into that, but your customer is coming in to your restaurant to order food and drink, and you're out of the drinks they want. Yeah, it's one thing. Like if you just get caught in a freak thing of like, listen, we only had one bottle of this for like two years and the last guy took the last shot of something. I'm so sorry. I totally understandable. If I'm asking for an insanely rare scotch whiskey, which I don't because most of us don't have $250 to drop on like a Louis the 13th cognac or something. We fine. weren't we weren't ordering anything allocated. Yeah, exactly. Everything, yeah. Every single thing that was on the list we tried to order. I could go to the a uh, big package store up the street and buy it by the case. So I had a good service at, I'm, I know you may know the name, but that restaurant that I told you my dad took me to for his birthday, the one that's over in Paradise Valley, where they have the really awesome wine menu, a uh, little tiny hotel restaurant. Um, Count back in? No, no, no. It's on like 32nd Street in Lincoln almost. Not quite that, but it's like in that neighborhood area. It's a tiny little hotel. Um, some of... But you're not talking about um, Mona Lucia. No, no, no. It's just east or west of that in the neighborhood. All right, but go on. Yeah. Anyways, um, tiny restaurant, big wine menu of awesome, awesome wines. And they even on the list, they, they put the date they updated the menu. And then if they didn't think they had the bottle, they put the stars next to it and said, listen, we only have two bottles. This small chance somebody may have bought it. Ask the server. And I sure enough, they had a, a, a Clodabaugh Briarcrest single vineyard cab, which my dad loved. They said they had one bottle left of it on the menu. And I asked the server right of the guy. I said, listen, I know it says there's one bottle left on this menu. If you have it, I will take that. If not, bring me some next week. I got you. So he leaves. He comes back and he says, we did have the one bottle, uh, but it was one year ahead of it. We didn't have the year on here. Are you okay with this one year? If not, I've got a suggestion. Basically what I was saying, you know, like he brought me options. And of course, I was like, oh, 2006, 2007, doesn't make a difference. Like, I, I know there's like a little intricacy to it, but it was perfect. It was great service. Gave me that bottle. It was fantastic. So you're talking perfect about service. You're talking about lawns. That's it. And they run a SOM on the floor. Yes. They have somebody who maintains and runs their wine program. Yes. I believe he's also a floor manager. However, he's also a server if he needs the help in time, like if they're short staff, like yeah. he, he's kind of the Swiss army knife of that the, place. The, the guy who runs their wine program actually used to run the, one of the sportsman's locations, wine shops here. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he was on it. Like that guy was perfect. He was great customer service. Gave me options, talked to me about what wines we wanted. No, it was great. I mean, that's your job, like I said, as a restaurant, yeah. is to have food and drink. And when you go in there and you're like, well, we're out of this, we're out of this, we're out of this. And you're look, and it's not because you had one bottle and you ran out. It's because you're being stupid. You're, you're screwing up something. You, can't. You, you didn't order it. You're, you're in the process of changing over a list and you just figured you'd let it fly and nobody would. You, you fucked up. Yeah. Bottom line. And I, I was in a place one time. I got real lucky enough one time with some friends that were in town. And one of the guys bought like an $800 bottle of some awesome Napa wine that came off the menu. And it was like the top two wines on this menu. And they came back and said, we don't have it. I'm like, how do you not know you, ha you don't have the most expensive wine on your menu? That is frustrating because that should be like, holy crap. We bought a, you clearly bought a six pack of it at somewhere, somewhere down the line. And if you're down to one and you're selling enough of them in the air, you got to get another six pack or just take it off your menu 
I mean, in I, some way, I just it was it was weird. I worked at a restaurant that had a printed list on the menu, and then the managers were allowed to create their own captain's list, and they printed it off every day. I mean, it was yeah. it was one sheet of paper. But if something else came in that was a little cool one-off, a lot of times they just tell us to sell it. They go to one or two or three of the servers and say, hey, I just got a special deal on this 1991 blah, 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 reserve wine that they released from the winery. There's only six bottles available. It's going to be this much. Just go sell it. I'm not going to print it on the list. And we just go out and sell yeah, it. Yeah, treat it like a special. Like, hey, guys, today we have scallops kind of thing. Like, hey, guys, today, listen, I'm telling you, we just got two bottles of 97 Montalana in here. Bam. First ones who get it. It's up to you. It's 400 bucks a bottle. I totally understand if you don't want. I'm just offering you that we have it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that way you could commit. Because the second you sell a bottle, you can walk back and be like, hey, guys, just sold one. There's only one left. Food and, and drink. And your three servers out there immediately know, oh, crap, there's only one left. And then that guy, they're all going to push that one last bottle. Hey, guys, there's only one bottle left. One bottle left. Give me, yeah, I got you. <laughs> like, I saved it specifically for you. And that's the other thing is that this was a Thursday, which, I mean, it's you can get product in if you're out of something. That's the thing. I mean, it's not like a Saturday night when they're like, oh, I'm sorry. We just, we had a busy night last night. And we sold out of this wine. Yeah. We had one, one, a table came in and ordered all, if it's all, Sunday, all 18 all right. bottles. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. On a Sunday, hey guys, we're out on a lot. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but it's 20% off of something. I don't know, it's whatever. Chipino day. Yeah. It's, uh, I've got this bottle that's been open since last night. Instead of 10 bucks a glass, it's six bucks a glass. So speaking of which, so today we decided we were going to do, uh, Higher end cabs. Um, since last week, we decided to do uh, you know party wines under twenty bucks. Um, we figured you know it's more towards the holidays. People want to break out some awesome wines, and being that where we're at, it's going to be a lot of awesome cabs to open up. That one smells like Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> so Damien's pointing to these are the bottles that I brought. Uh, I bought a black cordon, uh, two thousand seven Napa Valley Cabernet. I have not heard of this. Neither have I. So Black Cordon Vineyards, I had never heard of. Uh, it was just a bottle I bought in a lot of wines. So it was new to me. Uh, and then one that everybody, most people will know is Groth. So I had it also in that lot of wines I bought was a Groth 2005 Oakville Cabernet. So I figured, A, it's a bottle that most people will see in Safeway or AJ's or Total Wine. Um, this is more of one of their higher end ones, but obviously it's aged, so we can kind of give an idea of how it is. But the Black Corner was fun. It was a small family uh, right in the middle of Napa, and the winemaker for this one was Paul Hobbs. So at least we know it's pretty good stuff. Man, and I opened this like four hours ago when I was having dinner, and it still feels tight. And this is 2007. When it comes to a lot of the Napa wines, I mean, there's there's so many good ones that are so... In a small area. Of course, Napa's not really that big anyways. Yeah. Now, what makes one all of a sudden become so sought after and another one across the street not so much? And I'm using an example is say something like Silver Oak. Silver Oak is kind of that name amongst people with money. If you are going to have a party, you're going to be starting your wine collection. Silver Oak is one of the first things people gravitate towards. Yes. There's a lot better wine, I think, on that street up and down than Silver Oak. Yes. But for some reason, Silver Oak has that name and reputation. It just keeps it's a going. Reputation. But I don't understand how they got it. Like, so... I, I attribute Silver Oak as the Cadillac of wines. 
it's not that it's bad, but it's not what it used to be. People use like, oh, the Cadillac of things. Well, Cadillac's not, it's a great product, but it's not, there's things that are better out there. And I think when you just build yourself one heck of a reputation, it can do that. I think, honestly, cool. I just think uh, with the reputations of some wines and how good they are, they'll build the name up and then kind of get a little cheap on some of their wines. And it's not like their product goes crazy south. I think we know some of them, like Mondavi has a lot of great wine up there with their Tokalon and their Oakville, but then their lower products, you know, just their basic reserves or uh, like even their Woodbridge is kind of cheap. Camus kind of did that too to me. I like Camus. I think Camus is some really good wine, but it's kind of universally all becoming the same. But their high end, their higher end one, their, um, their special reserve is really, really good. So, you know, you get guys like this Black Cordon out there who small family they stay real like true to the acres that they own uh they take care of it and they don't really expand and they only have two labels maybe they're uh maybe like they have a reserve and then just this basic one and maybe a chardonnay and that's it but if you're trying to grow like a groth or a mandavi or a camus um uh rodney strong the other day when we tried those you got to kind of dumb down some of your more inexpensive wines and eventually grow your higher end label so I wonder how many wines are out there that are fantastic that are far superior, say, to something like a Silver Oak or a Quintessa, or and nobody's even heard of them. Nobody's well, ever... If you're a winemaker, it's got to be so frustrating to be putting out a fantastic product every single year, and at the end of the year, maybe be sitting on product, yet your neighbor sells out. Yeah. I mean, think about... You've been to Napa, right? So think about the distance between... Uh, Silver Oak, like its winery and vineyard area and Quintessa is probably not that far. And there's probably 10 wineries in between that with little small acreage that you're never going to heard of. Like, for instance, we're sitting here talking about Black Cordon. The only reason we're drinking this and even heard of it is because I got it by buying some guy's wine collection. I've never heard of them. Never knew it existed. I know most of the other guys out there, but every time it amazes me when I run into somebody who still lives in Napa, and they're like, yeah, I've got you know nine acres on this hillside, and it's just us. All we do is we make one cab, and for fun, we make a Chardonnay, and it pays all of our bills, and we don't care. They're probably, I bet to Napa, people who live in Napa, they're like the neighborhood bar. You know, they're not this big, giant chain of anything. It's just the neighborhood bar, everybody drinks, and they kind of subtly know in a weird way. Yeah, people share wine up there a lot more, though, too. Just in general, when you live up there. Yeah. Restaurants are all BYOB. Producers show, up, nice. producers show up at the cafe on a Tuesday afternoon with an unlabeled bottle, a shiner, and just say, hey, you want to try my, my new cab? You want to try my new this, this? And everyone just kind of shares. But for the outsider coming up there, I think it's very difficult to find little gems like this. Yeah, definitely. Because they're also not going to have a tasting room. Like, it might be their actual house is... And that's it. The garage might have their winery, and that's all they have. And thus, the website that Peter Kaspersky tried to create <laughs> was a website which allowed small wineries to get recognized. If you were going to Napa Valley, you didn't just you weren't Googling winery Napa tour. You're getting a weird bus tour. You're getting a yeah, random. Yeah, it's gonna take you to Del Dotto and Mandavi, and yeah, and you're not you're, you're not gonna chains. find so so his whole program his whole app was to guide people to these smaller wineries or guide them to these little gems however he to monetize it he wanted the little wineries i think to pay for it and a little winery is not going to pay for that because some of these guys are 
You know, they're they're hand dipping their bottles in wax because they can't afford necessarily to pay somebody. Yeah, they've got three people that work for them. I mean, I kind of think of it in a way that some of these wineries are kind of like a chain restaurant in a way where their highest end one would be like the P.F. Chang's. You know, like, oh, it's their nice restaurant and their best label and this is what they do. And then they've got like their secondary, you know, it's not our big main restaurant, but a little thing. And uh, P.F. Chang's guys pay way. It's like not quite P.F. Chang's. It's a little bit more inexpensive. It's dumbed down. So like to a winery, that's their second label. And then I think Payway even has a lower end chain just for quick fast food to like get it out. Not that it is Panda Express, but like a Panda Express. Just man, that pays our bills, keeps the lights on, keeps our employees intact and we're fine. But if you're that one guy who's got the cool little bottle like this black cordon, you're like the... uh, the one man who opened up a restaurant in the middle of the town and said, this is it. This is all I do. I'm focusing on just this one thing and that's it. Cause that's all I want to do. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to blow up and get big. They like to keep it simple. No, I know there's some, a lot of expensive wines that come out of Napa and yeah. that's kind of where the you most, get away with the it. most expensive wines in California pretty much come out of there. But what are the, the wines in Sonoma that are the, the crazy expensive wines or the cult collector wines? Are there any? So I can think of expensive ones, but I can't think of cult ones. I mean, I, I guess Verite, maybe, because Verite is Sonoma. It is. That is pretty expensive. Yeah. They get 100 points. But after that, honestly, we could talk a long time. Well, we can definitely say expensive wines. Like I could think of Paul Meyer and Paul Hobbs. They're in Sonoma and they're expensive, but I wouldn't consider them cult. Not like a Screaming Eagle. Or a Grace family, or what's the other guys? Colgan, Araujo. Well, it's not Araujo anymore. It's Isley. You know, those guys are cool, and they're expensive. Yeah. But you're right. Over in Sonoma, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's some Pinot producers out there that people are going crazy over right now, screaming at, like, come on, John. Come on, David. It's this guy. How have you never heard of him? Well, good. But even We've s- never heard of him. That's, that's the beauty of it. And we'll find him one day, but we can't recognize him right now. I guess you kind of think of, like, the, the Costa Browns. Coaster but, Brown but, before but still it not, became what they are. But still, I don't put them at the, the that top echelon necessarily comparatively to... If I'm thinking Spain, I think Vega Sicilia. I think... Muga, maybe? But Muga's probably like more like a Mandavi. Uh, yeah, I mean... They've got their high-end stuff, and then they've got their low-end things. Like the collector wines. The When you walk into a cellar and you look up, you're like, wow... You have Bruno. the Lafitte's and the Margots and the Latasha. Yeah, you, you if you you got Amarone, you have Quintarelli and you have Del Forno. You go yeah. over and you got Bruno Giacosa, Barolo ones. Yeah, or you know, there's certain when it comes to California, we know our Napa ones, but I mean, I guess Pinot Sea Smoke. Yeah, but really, like, are we are they are we at a cult thing with Sea Smoke at this point? It was. I see it on shelves it now. A lot. Used to be. It used to be. Yeah. People used to fight over their allocations. Mine, mine, swear to God, my close to heart Pinot is that Gypsy Canyon, man. Dude, Gypsy Canyon is one of the best Pinot Noirs I ever had. And nobody, I don't think, I, I could show that to a million people and be like, who the hell is that? What's the SRP on that? Do you know? I, I was buying it like 100. And it, it's straight from the winery. So, yeah, that's, and that's probably reasonable compared to some guys. Like one of my favorite, one of my favorite ones was the Wayfair Fort Ross Seaview. Um, it's all Pinot Noir, and they're hundred to hundred fifty bucks a bottle. But it's not cold. It's not that. It's not that two, three, four year waiting list. Like William Selium has a two year waiting list, but that's just because they're different. And I don't even consider that cultish. What like a, something that's going to take. It's going to be impossible to get. Like what? you, you just get it once in your life, kind of a wine. 
I mean, unless you got the money for it, obviously. Synchronon for a while. Synchronon for a while. But isn't that down in uh, Santa Maria or Santa Barbara or yeah, I'm trying to think Casa of, Robles area? Yeah, I'm trying to think of other regions where you can get some of these crazy cult wines or collector wines. Because do you think maybe we just don't have the reputation yet? Like we don't have those guys that have done this for a thousand years? Because when did they do the first growths in uh, Bordeaux? Was that, was that the 1800s or 1855? Wasn't that when they were doing those? That was Napoleon. Yeah, exactly. That was first growth was when they put those few. And then obviously the, I think it was Lafitte came later on, but that's over 200 years ago. We've got 80, almost barely, barely 80 plus years on this now to decide who the cult ones are. And so far it seems like it's Screaming Eagle, Scarecrow, and it's all, I don't know. I, I think it's all Napa. Like it's, it's all Napa. It's all I can think of is Napa. If, if somebody told me to say, okay, we just closed a deal on this big real estate project and I just got this huge bonus and now we're going to go and we're going to celebrate and you need to go buy a bottle of wine. And it has to be domestic, okay? Say we're buying, I'm not going to buy any, uh, sh- you know, DRC or anything. Honestly, it's going to, you have to go to Napa. Yeah. It's weird. Most people will expect that holy crap cab. I think you could probably get away with maybe, maybe a couple Pinots, but you're right. If you were going to be like, hey, here's a gift that's going to blow my boss away and he's a cult wine drinker and it has to be from America, it's going to be a Napa Cab. So I just was very lucky to actually drink some uh, 05 Napa Cabs as well this past weekend. What were you drinking? Uh, There was a Ghost Block 2005. Ooh. Okay. There was Robert Foley 2006's. Awesome. Claret. Even though it's 100% cab, it says Claret on the bottle. <laughs> Just to keep the name. Just to keep the name. Uh, there was a wine called Simpa. Never heard of it. That them. was the most, hands down, the most popular wine of the night. Everybody was going. It was a St. Helena. Okay. Appalachian. Cab. Uh, fancy bottle. Uh, 200 and something cases Produced of each of the things he had. He had a couple different single vineyards and it had case production on the back. It was about 250. Fantastic. I mean, unbelievably good. I mean, this guy also had Realm. He had. Realm's really good. Uh, it was 08 Realm? 07 Realm? I think it was 08 Realm. But. It, it, so, kind of going on to that Napa thing, if I were to ask you this right now, and we could kind of do this, you think a first growth. France, you can obviously name the Bordeaux guys. If you had your first growth, California, name five. Can't. Not even in Napa? I think I could do Napa. I don't, personally, I don't have enough Napa experience of walking vineyards to be able to say that. I've been lucky to drink some great wines. I don't have enough I just don't. That's that's also, I think, a huge thing, too. And I think you kind of just hit that. You just said vineyards. You didn't even say winery. You said vineyard. Yeah. So you're right. If you're a winery pulling from this one vineyard site and it's not yours and you lose it, now all of a sudden, what is your winery going to do? I mean, in France, it's the vineyard site. You'll have multiple producers often that will pull off that vineyard or have access to that vineyard. But, but it's that's that Burgundy. That's not Bordeaux. Bordeaux, it's it's they have that burgundy. So those guys who yeah. they have to go through the negotiations. But like in California, if you're Screaming Eagle, you have your site. Joseph Phelps Insignia owns their site. 
you know, Araujo, well, it's not Araujo, Isley owns their site. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm assuming Colgan and Harlan and those guys own their sites. Peter Michael, Peter Michael's another guy you could probably put up there. Or are they, or do they own a section of Tokalon Beckstoffer? It's true. Yeah. Beckstoffer stuff. Yeah. Realm is a lot of Andy Beckstoffer Schrader, stuff. Schrader, when he had his hundred points, that was Tokalon Beckstoffer. Tokalon, yeah. And if you lose it, your winery isn't where it should be with that label. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting thought because you know we could say vineyard is obviously the most important thing. I mean, dollar amount with wine is such a it's tough. It really is because at the end of the day, it really does cost about the same amount to produce a quality wine anywhere. Yeah, you 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 grow it, you pick it, you you crush your it. Grapes are your most expensive part in this. Yeah, I mean your labor. You know the it's the, the same top to bottom of that valley. I mean, your tanks are the same. Your barrels might obviously vary depending on you buying American or French and what cooperage versus. But that's pennies on the bottle. One guy wants to charge two hundred. One guy wants to charge a hundred, but they're on the same street. Yeah. Well, like so, for instance, this this Groth, this O five Oakville, um, right now, if you bought it at Total Wine, is sixty bucks for a two thousand and I think it's fifteen release. So uh, the look at this. The price is actually on the back of this bottle. Look at it. So somebody, they wrote that. They wrote that when they bought that, $39.99. So that was what that was when it was there. So that's a $60 bottle now. This black cordon, I looked it up, for now is 80 bucks. So high-end-ish expensive wines. And I think, honestly, for the value, those are pretty decent. Versus if you spent, like, I've been lucky enough to try Bond, and I think it was like an $800 bottle, and I can't tell you that that's a hunt, what ten times better than this bottle I'm drinking. I've it's great, it's amazing, it's definitely one of those one of them, you know one of those special bottles. But still, I've never had a bottle of Bond on release that made me go, "Wow, that is unbelievably good." It's always too aggressive, angry, wound up, tight, and I've never been lucky enough to have a twenty year old Bond. Yeah. I don't even know when the winery was invented when it came out. Good point. So Yeah, because if you're drinking it right out of release, it's probably real difficult for people to sit there and say, like, oh man, I want to keep drinking that all the time for eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars. So yeah. I mean, this O seven right now, I mean, I'm sitting here smelling this thing and it's it's nice. Like the the oak is soft. It's real approachable, and it still feels super young and tight. And so, it's 2007. It's an 11-year-old bottle of wine. So as someone who wants to pick up some older wines, how does somebody go out getting something that's 10 years old? Because you're going to go to the store. You're going to buy something that's current vintage, probably picked a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And you might not want to lay it in your cellar for 15 years because that's a true commitment in life. I mean, not everyone can. Yeah. Not everyone can start. When you have a thousand bottles in your cellar, and you buy, you can easily drink a couple bottles, replace it. So you get the cycle of life going with yeah. your collection, where you know you could buy a couple cases and throw it in there, and I don't have to open it for ten years because I have a whole bunch of other wines that are going to be coming ready yeah. soon. But when you're starting out as a collector. It's really tough to buy that first case and going, hmm, I can't touch this for fifteen years, right? <laughs> That's it's that's so difficult. So so as someone who's trying to get like wants to maybe buy a 10 year old cab, what's the easiest way for somebody to do it? 
I don't think there's a real answer for that. I could, uh, that my only thought would be this is if somebody came to me and said, Hey, uh, I'm looking at buying some older Napa wines to drink at these times. What do you suggest? I would say I would stay away from mountains, you know, Veter, Howl, Atlas and uh, diamond and spring. Uh, those at absolute minimum need like 10, 15 years before they get real full. And if it's on the floor, Honestly, it depends on the maker. Like I've I've had Napa Cab that's ten years old and it's falling apart real fast. And then this one is eleven years old and I don't think it's even ready to drink. So I mean, you you procured this wine in the last year or two. Yes, you have not laid this wine down for the last <laughs> like like the last three weeks or two. <laughs> right, but this what I'm saying is, as someone who's looking to maybe purchase a nice higher end aged bottle to give away for a gift or bring yes. to a party. How, obviously you've got this three weeks ago. How'd you, I mean, I'm not going to get up your, all your trade secrets here. I, uh, I but, buy, I buy wine collections from people when they either quit drinking alcohol or go through a weird time in their life to get rid of things. So I get lucky. I get lucky. So there's, there's different auction houses. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of websites. Um, have you ever used, was it Winebid? I, I, the only one I've ever used was that Leland Little. Now, Le- Leland Little is an actual official auction house. Yes. That has people that will check the where the wine came from, check the legitimacy of it. They're not quite a Hart Davis Hart. They're not an Ackerman. Yeah. They're not K&L a... K&L and Winebid kind of, sort of, check. But they mostly just make sure it's authentic. Winebid is the eBay of wine. Yeah. I could go full Rudy... Uh, in my kitchen, <laughs> probably I could spray paint some bottles, corvin a little out of it so it looks like it evaporated, and sell that shit. So glad we don't have a wine bid sponsorship. Well, well that's that, <laughs> that, 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 that's that's my that's my fear of ordering on wine bid. That's why I yeah. kind of wanted to talk about this because I've never ordered anything on there, but I know people that have, and they've all had great success. So look how often you and I have gotten something, and even Matt from Leland Little, and it wasn't, and it wasn't that the wines was store bad; it was just too old. No. No? I'm going to say it was because there was a, a something happened to that wine at some point during its life. Think so? Every bottle that we have opened that has been suspect should not have been suspect at that point in its life. Fair uh, enough. It felt like uh, there was a couple that the, felt cooked. The, the 01 Argianos have all been Were those all Leland? Yes. Oh, I thought you had that when you repped no. them. No. All oh. the O1s are from a Leland auction. Also, not exactly. N- not 100% cab. Yeah, yeah but, but they're not going to splash we'll cook. See what happens. Yeah, but those at the winery, I had an 88 that was fresh as a daisy. And an 01 is not hold, holding up on, yeah. a, on a great year. No, there was something wrong with that. And same thing with those Mandavis. Those Mandavis were 96, 97. Seven and 95s, yeah. Mm, yeah, granted, they're 20 years old. But those wines should still have another 20 years of life True. on and them. True, the, and the, when we did that 21 and over party, the three wines we had from Leland didn't work, but our buddy who went to Philip Tony, Togni, Tony, Tony, yeah. Yes, he went Tony, to Tony, the, Tony. Yeah, Tony, Tony, Tony. He was at their winery, brought that bottle back, and it was 24 years old or something, and it was amazing. It was mm-hmm. a perfect wine. So I, I think, honestly, I think that's kind of the, the... There's a little fun... In a sense of having an anxiety, and for people who have all the anxiety, I feel terrible. I'm sorry. But when you're going to open a bottle, I think there's an excitement of, oh, it's old. 
did it make it? Is it going to taste amazing? So it kind of built, it's like a hype, like, oh, is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? Like, and, and it gives you that, that scared, nervous, like, because if you know the bottle is going to be amazing, then cool, you know what you're getting. But if you've never experienced this wine and you don't know the age, you don't know if you make it, there's a little bit of gambler's excitement in there. Like, did this pay off? Did I gamble my $80 for this to be a fantastic wine for tonight? Am I going to make everybody look at me and go, oh, how awesome. You brought such a dope wine today. 2007, whatever. This is fantastic. The Ravanas, I got those because nobody knew what the hell it was. And it was a steal. And it's one of the best wines I've ever had in my entire See? life. You nailed it, man. You hit blackjack. <laughs> that was. And it turned out, I mean, when I went to buy it, I was like, Matt, we have to buy these wines. I'm like, I am like, I want, he goes, do you want to split it? I'm like, sure. Because I was like, are they going to be good? I'm like, I know the prom, I know the prestige of this winery. I know what the quality of stuff they're putting out, but I wasn't sure if they're still going to be good and home run. Yeah. I mean, those wines are unbelievable. Another one that I got on a Leland and Little auction, uh, 1988 uh, Brunello. The uh, Altacina. Yeah, we drank one of those one I got night. one left. Every one of them has been stunning. Yeah, do the... Fantastic. I brought that night, that 86 Protatory for my birthday, and it was it was definitely coming apart, I imagine, from a little bad storage, but it was still holding up. But, but also, you know, this guy could be living in a multi-billion dollar house and then have his wine collection move to his new multi-billion dollar house. He can move and, after and, move and, after and, move. And, 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 and the guy moving it might have decided he wanted to stop by Chipotle real quick. <laughs> and the, the, the truck... In the middle of summer. The, the truck didn't get hot, but that where the bottles were up against the wall might have gotten a little warm. So when they pulled them out and put them in the cooler, hey, they were all fine. But something happened. And now 20 years later, they're suspect because something happened because a in dude was- In a two-hour period. You never know. They're like, oh, it's that entire, it's entire life, this one guy's collection. Well, they, one of those collections was from North Carolina, and all it takes is one good hurricane to knock the power out for three days uh, and warm up. A gentleman that I had met once had a rattlesnake climb into his ventilation thing to his <laughs> wine- collection in his million dollar house up in the mountains it's a separate air conditioning unit than he had in his main house it shut that down and it cooked his entire wine collection holy crap and he had no idea he had no idea now he has an alarm on it but he didn't have he didn't have an alarm that if it went above a certain temperature he got a notification right his house was normal temperature but the cellar was blowing hot air in the middle of summertime in because Dude, that's a huge hit. You can't insure that shit either. Nope. You do not get to I tried. insure wine. My, my buddy kept trying to uh, get me to have renters. I'm like, listen, I have five things, and I don't give a shit about any of them, but I got this wine collection. And you can't do shit <laughs> about like, it. he's like, no. I'm like, there's absolutely nothing. They could steal everything from me. I wouldn't care, except for the wine except collection. Except for my wine collection. Yeah. I always figure, honestly, I've long joked about this with my girlfriend. I was like, if our house catches on fires, get the dogs, get them outside. I'm going to pack up the bottles of wine I can before the house burns down because everything else is, you know, replaceable. <laughs> it's It's got to be tough getting into collecting fine wines, especially if you haven't been exposed to a ton of fine wines in your life. You're, yeah. Someone says, hey, drink this Quintessa. It's really good. Or drink this. You know, Araujo, Icely, it's fantastic. And you're like, wow, that is really good. But you don't have a lot of benchmarks. And then all of a sudden, now you're, sure. now you're laying this down, thinking it's going to get better. Maybe it's not to you. Maybe you liked it young and fresh and fruity, you know, or oaky. Maybe you didn't have to lay this down for it to get better. 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, like if, if you're looking at actual collectors and uh, who people who just buy, they don't really drink it. They just buy it and then turn around and flip it later in life. It's like the Burgundies and the Bordeaux. California doesn't have a benchmark to really do that. We have ideas of what certain wineries might do with the Screaming Eagles, the Scarecrows, you know, maybe a continuum one day pops up. Maybe some little guy that nobody's ever heard of just sits on the perfect site that nobody really pays attention to. And then one day some winemaker that everybody knew, like a Heidi Barrett or somebody pops in and makes it all of a sudden the best thing ever. You know, it's, 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 I think Napa is obviously solidifying itself as obviously the best place for Cabernet in America. But when it comes to those cultish wines, I think the door is still wide enough open to be like the main guy. Like on, honestly, I think Isley Vineyards probably it's the best Syrah I've ever had, and it's some of the best Cabernet I've ever had. And I think they're doing it, and they don't really you don't really ever hear about them. You know, some people obviously know Araujo and Isley Vineyard, but now that it's sold to uh, the Latour Group, I, I just it's one of the best hands down one of the most coolest vineyards best wines ever and they just want to keep it simple and they do it and if you like it they can't they don't mind losing money on it because they want to keep it biodynamic they ain't losing no money on that well he's a billionaire he's a billionaire if it loses if it loses five million bucks they don't care then it's a then it's a write-off he ain't losing no money it's their private house too in napa they can go visit they're fine No, I don't. I don't know, man. I just, I, I just don't know where we're at sometimes with the cult wines of America. No, it's just like art. I mean, it's we've brought up this up before. Is because one person might spend two hundred dollars and somebody else refuses to drink it. Somebody might spend a million dollars for that painting on the wall and somebody else go says, "I don't want to put that in my bathroom." Yeah. I think really if it's this because we were talking about you know inexpensive wines to bring to a party that sub twenty dollar area. You know, I, I touched on a little bit of people being insecure about their wines. But so let's let's bring this to the people who we need to bring. We're talking about high-end yeah. wines on this show. This so isn't now, cheap stuff. We're talking about what to bring to... To your boss's party yes. and it's a Christmas present. Yes. So these are your Christmas present, boss wines, whatever, for future references, uh, anniversary, whatever. I think if you can give somebody an old vintage, you automatically go to a higher level. It doesn't matter if it's good or not. And <laughs> it's like I know that sounds weird. All right. But you gave somebody an old vintage, they're gonna think that's really cool out of the gate. Now, if they're a wine collector, a true wine collector, take an idea of what they drink. You know, slowly notice, okay, well, they're drinking Napa caps, so you gotta get a, a big one. Try and find something that you don't see on every shelf. If you walk into Safeway and that same bottle is also at Albertsons and it's also at whatever your main grocery store is, and it's also at the Circle K and it's also at the Total Wine. He can get that anywhere he wants, but if you find the bottle that's not anywhere else but that one local shop you have, take a shot. Take a gamble and buy that cool, random Napa, because if he's never had it, it doesn't matter that, honestly, he's never had it. He's like, ooh, Napa Cab. I've never heard of this guy. And then he automatically be like, oh, cool. Like my See, employee or my uh, friend or whatever gave me a cool bottle I never heard I, of. I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to say that's a really bad idea. Think so? Okay, go because, ahead. Play devil's advocate. Because, okay, so here's your boss's party. He's showing up. You show up with some one-off bottle that he's never heard of, of some funky little vineyard. And he's got a nice, beautiful wine cellar, and everything's racked with vintages up and down. And you give him this one-off of something he's never heard of, and he's going to end up throwing it in this cooler. He might open it that night, and it might just sit around. He would be, it would be better suited to get him something that would be a showpiece that he could show off to his other friends. Because this is the, the higher-end 
clientele of people out there. So the guy who enjoys drinking Silver Oak, you go get him the higher-end Silver Oak. Mm -hmm. If he ends up liking, you know, you, you go that route. Because unfortunately, I think if you bring something... I've done this where I've gone to parties with people that are very well-to-do, and they like to drink their name brand high-end wines yes. and i show up with a nice brunello barolo whatever and they look at me like i got a third eye okay i'm gonna play devil's advocate to your thing devil's advocate you showed up with that one-off bottle sell it to your boss best friend whatever as if it's your resume in a hey check this bottle out it's so small production they only make so many cases of it it's super rare it's crazy. Oh, you're the only person who probably has this bottle in the area. There's 30 and people giving person, them gifts. Yeah. You don't give it. He, like, you're going to sit there and, hey, thanks. No, get, go confront that person. Be like, listen, this is how amazing this bottle is. I can't Let me tell you about my Chateau, blah, blah, blah. Well, then you're taking the chance that everybody else is giving him a bottle of Silver Oak or Ron Bauer or something. He's like, oh, look, another Silver Oak, whatever. But if you hand him a bottle of something he's never seen before, he's going to take a half a second, look at it, maybe be like, what is this? And give you the opportunity to be like, let me tell you about this bottle. I sell it to him. Sell that person I that show it up at your father's house with a bottle of <laughs> scotch. He'd be like, what is this? But I show up with his uh, the Johnny Platinum. He knows exactly what that is. However, he has Johnny Platinum already stored away. Now, you give him that scotch, you're right. He might sit there and be like, ooh, that's not my style. But now he's got a bottle to share amongst people if, you know... Well, with the scotch, you could do it forever. With the wine, you got to do it that night. But it gives him something different. But he'll remember it. He'll remember that you gave him something that weird. shitty bottle that he didn't like. Well, then don't buy a <laughs> shitty bottle. Do not bring 337 I mean, just, reserve to no, the fucking I'm, I'm, party. I'm serious because it happens with me. Because honestly, stuff like Barolo and Brunello is not for everybody. A lot of people, I've tr brought those wines or I open them wines and they look at me and like, I don't like that. Yeah, but we're talking about if you bring a Napa Cab to a guy who drinks Napa Cab and you give him a unique Napa Cab, his only complaint could be that it's not quite what he was. But if you write, if you brought a Brunello to a guy who only drinks Napa Cab, now you've got a whole new grape being thrown into the mix. I've been a connoisseur of Brunello and Barolos and all those for years. As a general rule, you go to a party or you go to your boss's house, they ain't a connoisseur. They're a connoisseur of Napa Valley wines. Exactly. And you're, that's what we're talking about, high-end Napa you're, cabs you're, today. I think of a lot of like when I go to your your father's friend's houses or I go up to like the Atlas Bistro when they do their special parties and they do the YPO parties or the parties up in Desert Mountain. You know what we're drinking? We're, we're drinking some great Napa cab. Yeah. But if I showed up, even with a really cool something funky... They look at me like I'm weird. Whereas if I would have brought a bottle of Napa Cab... Do you think they remember you, though? Yes, because I'm the guy who brought what they liked. For the cab or because you brought a weird wine? No, because I brought the cab. Uh, I think about I, your dad's house. Thanksgiving. Or you're, you're at a, your dad's friend's house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up at the mountain. I had some fun whites. Really cool. People enjoyed them. But you know what? It wasn't a buttery Chardonnay. If I would have brought a buttery Chardonnay, I would have been the hero of the party. <laughs> this is this is I this is what I think about when I when I'm going to someone's party. I I I I bought a bottle of whiskey for my old boss every year. I didn't buy something funky and off the wall. I bought something he liked. I bought something I knew would be a crowd pleaser, even though it was higher end. It was a. Uh, 
Just like you're talking about buying Mondavi, you buy Mondavi special selection or reserve or whatever it is. It's a fantastic wine. People know it. They'll see it. They're like, that's a nice gift. I could show up with a bottle of Pingus or a bottle of Vega Sicilia, and people are going to look at it going, oh, what is this thing? That is, yeah. Well, that's a $4,000 bottle. Oh, you want to drink some Graf? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is... Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's we really... We are not the public. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get at, necessarily. True. Is. All right, so playing but, from the public's at, like view, you're right. If you're reaching for a $60, $70 bottle... You're right. To the vast majority of people, people are going to love it. If you bring a if you bring a Rombauer Cab or a Groth Oakville or what else is out there, the Silver I'm, Oaks. I'm thinking high end wines for holiday parties me. and gifts. Like this is to to not strangers, but people who aren't your best friends, but just people you're giving awesome high end gifts to. Bingo. All right. I guess, I, I guess. Then if we're playing that, then yes. Then, so, then some, don't then don't bust out the unique crazy single vineyard nonsense thing. You got to go with the high it. end, high life, the Mandavi Oakvilles and the I, reserves. I, I and, have trained Mister Hasher very well over the years. However, if I was just to give him a bottle of really great Napa Cab, that's going to be the crowd pleaser. You know what? You absolutely can give somebody a super high end bottle of something that's expensive that they'll love because the name is champagne. If you give somebody a Dom. A crystal, if you want to go crazy, right. shoot, give somebody a hundred a Vouv Clicquot. All They'll right. be super happy about that. So, it's so, champagne. So, so, so you drop a bottle of Vouv Yellow Label on me, or a bottle of no, 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 not you, Damien. Public. We're okay. talking about the public. Okay, the public. You show up to your boss's new hot wife's house girlfriend anniversary <laughs> party. And she's got all her friends there, and you show up, and you want to bring a gift. And you show up, you have your choice between bringing two champagnes, Vouv or the grower. The grower champagne that we drink. You bring Vouv. Which one is better? The grower, obviously. Not even close. It's always that grower champagne, the one I'm talking about, the 100% Pinot Meunier. Yeah, uh, the Mufi. Unbelievable. Yeah. But the you, Vouv you, is the one that's going to be the popular you, of the night. You drop that bottle on that table, and they're going to look at you like you have You're a third crazy. eye. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be like, where's my yellow label? Where, where's my Vouv? You'd be like, try this. It's so good. It's it's made with 100% Pinot Meunier, and it, it was disgorged after blah, 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 blah. Do you think so, though? If you just said, hey, this is a $100 bottle of champagne, bam, slapped it on the table, people would be like, oh, shit, $100. Glug, 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 and pound that. Vouv. <laughs> it's perception. I, see, I think, it's I think perception. Because if you have people who are like only care about money and you say $100 versus Vuv, they'd be like, ooh, the $100 stuff. And you know what? You give, and, the, and then they don't open it and it goes in the cooler and the next day they wake up or um, two, it becomes two, mimosas. Two weeks later, two, <laughs> two weeks later, they open the cooler. They're like, hey, I got a couple bottles of bubbles in here. There's a Vuv and there's this uh, Chateau. Let's make some mimosas with this one. Yeah. I'm. It, sometimes it sucks to be, to think about it in a realistic way because we live in our little bubble. We kind of do. Yeah, we have a huge bubble. <laughs> like when it comes a very to, tiny, huge bubble. When it comes to wine. Um, in fact, we're going to change the show up a little bit in a, like a week and a half. Um, Ray is going to be here in town. Uh, oh, Ray's coming Re- in? Requiem Ray and Silverado Ray. Oh, hell yeah. So New Year's, we're going to do a New Year's show with Ray. Uh, that's we're doing the bubbles one for yeah. New Year's. Yeah, we'll oh. do something with Ray. Like fuck yeah, dude. Here to reach out to me. I like Ray, man. That make that man makes the best paella I've ever had. 
worked for Silverado, has fantastic Silverado, but when you sit down and drink with him, he's going to open up something funky and cool. And yeah, he's going to drink some weird wines yeah. with him. Because same thing, when he drinks with us, it's different than when he just is. So I guess it comes down to you got to know the person that you're getting the wine for. Yes. Yeah. I mean, think about my mom. Love her to death. You give her a gift. Get her a Magnum of Behringer White Zivendel. She'll be. Don't worry. I've got 07 Fetzer waiting with she her name on it. She'll be so happy with a bottle of White Zin versus a Chateau anything. Even the bubbles. Even if you got her champagne, like nice champagne, she, she'd probably be like, eh, this, eh. Is, this is okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... It's funny because, you know, we had such a great, easy going conversation about $20 bottles, really easy show up, do this, blah, blah, blah. We're great. But now we're talking about expensive stuff and look at how focused we're getting on things we do. We can't even agree kind of in some of this. Because we're actually thinking about who you're giving it to and everything else in between. That's true. I'm definitely being biased right now. And, and I have to admit that I, I am biased on who because I'm thinking of people I would give gifts to. And these are wine people. And I'm trying to separate myself saying, OK, I'm not going to give these wines to my friends. I got to give it to the public. People I don't know, what would they drink? And my thoughts are a Groth, like this Oakville we have, or a Rombauer, or the Silver Oaks, or like Mondavi Reserve and the Oakville. And shoot, Joseph Phelps. And man, I can't, what are some other big expensive cab? Decoy? Does Decoy? No, they're Merlot. But the, Paradox I mean, and... But wines like that, they're not necessarily, I don't consider them high end, but they are, but they are Delta good. Auto cab and... Who are those other big guys that are out there that just have a huge Schrader. presence? Schrader? Schrader. Schaefer? Schaefer? Schaefer. Schaefer. Like That's the, what I'm the 1.05 or whatever, the Hillside Select yes. and those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those and, are out there. And, and Schrader's another one. Schrader's the one who did the Tokalon Beckstoffer. And, yep. then, and then Schaefer's Hillside. They, Hillside Select. Yep. The Stag's Leap. Um, Chimney Rock. S some of those wines. Silverado. Those wines were part of the original Paris tasting. Those would actually be kind of cool uh, Chateau things. Montalena, yeah. If you get your hands on uh, the... Uh, Which? I'm, I'm picturing the label. Ridge Montebello. Ridge Montebello. But Ridge makes real killer wine, and nobody, under, nobody knows that wine that well, except for wine people. Like people... Some people know Ridge. They might for their Zim, but the Ridge Montebello might be one of the best cabs ever made on this planet. <laughs> And it does, I don't think it gets the respect that it does. I mean, it, it, in theory, it does from the wine community, but from the public, no way. Yeah. So I've always enjoyed, in that same area, a uh, wine called Plump Jack. Oh, yeah, Plump Jack's up there. Plump Jack's always been something I've really enjoyed. I don't consider them necessarily a cult collector wine, but they're not. Either is Groth, but, you know, I've enjoyed visiting Groth. I've actually really enjoyed some of their whites. Um I think, I don't, I can't honestly remember if I've had Plum Jack more than that one time. The, I'm a big fan of their Merlot. Their Merlot is very velvety, chocolatey, cocoa rich. Um, I kind of got into this Merlot phase for a while with Oakville Merlots and also some higher mountain Merlots. Like Paul uh, Maz. Robert Foley's. Foley. You know, um, the... You like Twelmy? <laughs> the... Uh, the one that I drank with you, uh, Hourglass. Uh, Hourglass. I kept, oh, I kept God, thinking man. Blue Line. My mind kept saying I said, Blue I was, Line. I said Blue Line right there, too. Yeah. But that's our high-end one. What do, uh, what do you think of these ones? Let's start with the Black Cordon. Right, let me pour a little more of that. All right. Yeah. That's so the that's one that when I... Glass. That's the one when I tried it, it smelled like 
Thanksgiving dinner, I said, because I think it was throwing off some like sage characteristics. It's funny because the Groth had more of a unique nose to me and like it had more like more on it than the black corn, but the black corn had more flavor to me. The the Groth actually seems lighter in style. I kind of like the Groth flavor wise. Um, it's got way more character to it where the black corn is more concentrated. It's big. And, uh, and honestly, I think honestly, it's a little, like I said, it, I, I think it might be too young. It's not even kicking off everything it can. The Groth is a lot leaner. Yeah. A lot thinner. Yeah. It's, it's like comparing 2% milk to like whole milk. <laughs> yes. The, the cordon has a lot more viscosity to it. It's a lot fuller. Yeah. Um, definitely a but, bigger body. Both fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think about if someone wants to try and find an 05, the best ways for them to get it. I'm going to say probably auction houses. Yeah. You know, there's there's a K&L. There's a lot of auction houses where people pass away, uh, people move, things happen, divorces happen, restaurants go out of business, and they sell off their collections. Um, you have to be on top of it. This isn't something that's advertised in the papers, not word of mouth amongst wine professionals. Something like the one we've used, Leland Little, that's in the East Coast. I think it's what, Atlanta? Something uh, like that? Uh, it's the Carolinas. Carolinas. Yeah. They auction off a lot of estates. So they do two or three wine auctions a year. Or if someone happens to pass away with a large amount of wine, they'll auction that off. But most of their auctions they do are jewelry, watches. Art, cars. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're a... Well, wine's a very unique thing. You know, you only run into it it, it's rare when I run into somebody who has a crazy wine collection and to most, if we, if like, let's say you and I are in the 1% of wine people within that 1%, only 0.1% has a seller that when you walk into feels like a professional seller, like they built a room, a basement, something towards being a professional seller. The rest of us all just have wine coolers, wine fridges that hold 180, 300 bottles and stuff like that. And even then, yeah, like if you have a father that passes away and they're like, oh, I got these 300 extra cool bottles, it's going to be random. But the person that passes away, like I think it's a Koch brother, the dude has what, like thousands and thousands of bottles. Man, that's super, super, super rare. And we saw that with that one Leland Little auction where that one guy passed away and they put all of his wine out there and it was 10,000 plus bottles of wine. And and you could tell that he had been a wine club member and had been collecting certain... You could tell he was definitely... This is going to sound weird. He was a hoarder of wine. Right, because he would have a a winery that he enjoyed. He would have three cases of that vintage, and then he'd have 10 vintages. Yeah. So there was You would see a screaming eagle, and there'd be 80 screaming eagles, and all of them... and. They were from 2002 to 2015. And I, I will say, for someone who wants to maybe pick up something cool as a one-off, you can get some better values, I think, than if you are trying to buy cases. Because collectors want cases. They want unbroken boxes. Box. They want to know where it's coming from. They want 12, because if they open one, they, wow, that's really good, or that's too tight. I know I can lay the next 11 down. Whereas one-offs are sometimes very hard to sell. You don't know how it was stored. The labels aren't always perfect. It's nobody, no collector wants to buy just one bottle. Yeah, because you want the you want to try it now and be like, okay, should I keep drinking? Yeah, but and that goes back to that point you were talking about earlier is how how do you know when to drink wine? In the wine industry, you gotta buy vintage and try it multiple times before you figure out when you want it. Because if you have one early, 
Oh, it's too young. Then you have another one later on. Oh, it's not quite there. Then you have another one. Perfect. And you had three other bottles. Cool. Now you know you got four bottles within its window of that year to drink, basically. Wine is all about experience and the experience that that bottle gives you. And what's great about if you have 12 bottles is that if you have a great experience with that one bottle, you can recreate that experience again Mm -hmm. with bottle number two and bottle number three and bottle number four. Whereas if you get just one bottle, no collector wants just one bottle. So if you're someone who wants to bring a cool bottle to a party or give a cool gift, you could probably go to one of these auction houses and get a cool one-off. We buy some of these like uh, mix packs where there will be <laughs> 12 bottles of old Napa wines, and they're all, they're all over the place. 15 years old, and it's 12 different bottles. Because they can't auction just one bottle off. So the auction houses will make up a little mix pack. They make their own little 12-pack, 6-pack. However, something like Winebid, you could probably get some smoking deals of some dude who just has... Hey, I got one bottle of this. What are the other guys? Christie's and Sotheby's and Hart Davis? The problem with all of those, those are official auction houses. Those are high-end gavel. Yes. They put Uh, out the Hart Davis Hart is a book, and the book they put out probably costs more to print than most of the books on my shelf over there. (laughs) Like their 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 wine book. I used to save them. I used to have them. They're my coffee table books. Is is all the the quarterly Hart Davis Hart books? Because you just yeah, it's it's wine porn. You just thumb through it and you're like, oh my god, I want that bottle, that bottle, that bottle. Hold on, I need to I need to go in the back room for a few minutes. All right, Phew. all right. That How bottle, come that pages bottle, that bottle, seventeen? That bottle, it goes stuff. straight seventeen to twenty. What happened? Those, pages eighteen, nineteen. Those oh, books are good. crazy. In the Rudy movie, they brought up a good thing in the I think it was the Ackerman book or one of the Christie's books where. They were they were showcasing in the book a spread of three bottles that were Rudy bottles, and they actually had the producer looking at that picture, going, "Those bottles were not made that year; <laughs> those are completely fake." Oh yeah, because the bottle, the actual bottle itself, didn't exist during that something. Time. Yeah, he's he's like, we didn't do that single vineyard until the year after. He goes, this one. The, the label was, we put a board around it for that vintage, and then this one, we didn't do that size bottle. That's crazy. Yeah. By the way, you're right about this. Now that I smell this, uh, it definitely smells like my grandmother's kitchen cabinet a little bit, like with spices in yeah. there, like thyme and sage. Now, granted, I was cooking a little stuff, but I, I definitely got that Thanksgiving dinner in here, like in that glass when I first smelled it. Yeah. For me, it was sage. That's the That's... black cordon, by the way. The uh, it's it's the nose is more powerful on the the black cordon, and then the groth is more subtle. I'm actually, uh, these are both so good. Now, other people have started getting into the wine sales business, which cracks me up. Uh, Touch of Modern is now selling wine. I saw that. I've seen they, uh, every now and then, throw on a crazy bottle of something. I've seen a couple of things I didn't recognize. And just recently, it was something mainstream. I think it was like something like Vuv or something like that was on there. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> they found out. Oh, no. You know, but uh, another good thing, uh, Last Bottle Wines or Wines Till Sold Out. And then the guys who own Last Bottle own another like a cult collector site where you can buy one-offs that are they basically go directly from winery to their storage and they they sell them and store them and then they sell them off over auctions over the years yeah so Uh, i got a buddy in california who owns one called underground seller same thing he does like sales of higher-end things and you know they upgrade wines and he's got a whole thing you got to check out but um it's 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 interesting seeing these flash websites pop up to quickly push uh, all these guys out because it's almost like okay we clearly have amazing wine in napa we already know we do and sonoma but the pricing is so high that it's forcing people to go into what they're thinking they're getting deals of 70 60 50 percent off because there's too much wine 
Like the volume of wine far out, far out, huh, struggle with that. It goes beyond the amount of people that drink it. Use your words. I can't. My brain is not <laughs> connecting far out seats. Or, it's, it's not. It's too I'm, much. I, I, there's too much wine out there for people to drink. And there's too many expensive bottles that people can't touch. So that bulk wine market is huge. Well, the the high-end wine market, they, they, they sit on a lot of wine, too, because not all of it sells. And when the wine business, you're expecting to sell. If you do 50,000 cases, you're expecting all 50,000 cases to sell by the end of the year because you have another 50,000 cases coming next year, and it's all part of your business plan. Yeah. Well, one bad year, one weird vintage, or one thing where a couple of wine club members don't show up, and now you're sitting on a whole bunch of extra cases... You need to find a way to get rid of them. So that's why they use people like WTSO or people like Last Bottle to kind of okay, I got I got an extra hundred cases left of this vintage. I'll I'll do them to you for a deal out the door so I can get ready for next vintage. Yeah, and uh, it, it's interesting only because I'll see some people that pop up on it every now and then that I'm surprised. I think I even emailed you one time. You were representing somebody. I said, hey, this is on Last Bottle or WTSO, and you're like, what? They're on there right now? Holy crap. I didn't realize they had a plethora of this one because you were on 2014 and Last Bottle had 2012. It was... Ornello. Or Orna... Orna... Yeah, yeah the guy with the horse on it. Not Ornelia, but Ornello. I'm yes. pretty sure it was Ornello. Yep. So that deal was actually better than we were wholesaling it at. I, I actually have bought wines off last bottle before because they were cheaper than what I can get them <laughs> through connections in my it, business. But is that because we're in Arizona and they're on the East Coast it's, and can get it cheaper? Or No, it has to do with the fact of they want to get rid of, you know, if I'm if I'm selling a bottle for, say, $45 wholesale a bottle to the, to the restaurants and the retailers, somebody like Last Bottle might say, okay, I will... I'm going to sell 500 cases in five minutes, but I need it for a smoking deal and I'm going to sell it cheaper than what you're trying to sell it for, but I'm going to sell it through 500 cases. Mm. Whereas you're going to run around the streets for the next month dragging a bag to sell 12 cases, showing it to everybody and their mother. And you have to off a case of it, sampling and it. And sampling it, tastings, events, where they send out an email blast and it's all sold. So... You kind of cut your losses and you just say, fine, I'll deal with it. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking even. I might lose a dollar, but I'm, I'm moving product. It's all gone. And that's where something like Last Bottle is really nice. Yeah. And that's why they can I, sell honestly, it. Honestly, for consumers, I think it's great. And that's why, they, it. that's why they can sell it cheaper than what I wholesale it at because it's a one-off deal. It's, they bought 500 cases for a smoking deal. When those 500 cases are gone, they're gone. They're, there's no more available tomorrow. That's it. Hmm. Whereas, you know, same thing, I guess, with Winebid. Like when you get something... Special on there. That's it. You got it's it's the eBay of wine. I just bought it. There's no more. Which also, by the way, brings me back to the fact that if you give your boss a really unique wine and you bust it out in a time when there's only one bottle available, it's super cool. <laughs> if if your boss was in the wine business, giving something cool, I agree with. If he's not in the wine business, I think you have to go. You have to go pedestrian. That's that. And what I mean by pedestrian is Silver Oak is, Quintessa is uh, what you see on the shelves. Uh, Opus One. Well, yeah, but who's going to drop 250 You You better be getting a promotion on an awesome level if you're dropping a $250 on an Opus 1 to right. like your boss. Right. Now, yeah, granted, you put, if you drop an Opus 1 on somebody, if you're going to have a relationship with your boss, that's fantastic. But I'm going to bring an Opus 1 over a, a single vineyard Kanubi Reserve any day. 
I'd rather drink to, the Kanubi Reserve yeah. myself because so, yeah. that guy's not going to appreciate it at yeah. the end of the day. He's going to appreciate the fact that I gave him a bottle with a name on it that he knows. Yeah. But if he was a wine geek and he had never heard of Barolo, would you give him the Kanubi or the Opus? If he was the a Opus. true wine geek, like an actual liked to learn about wine. The Opus. Really? Yep. 100%. Dang, see, I would, I would give him something weird so I could sit there and have the conversation of like, look at how weird this wine is. This is the Kanubi from Damilano. This is more of a modern take on it. This is the smallest little hill in this one area and have a full conversation with this guy and convince him that he's going to like that wine. We, we do that when we drink together. If I'm giving you a gift or I'm going to a party. But you did it I'm to not. me, dude. You, you, the reason you and I hung out was because you came up to me, a total stranger, and said, you're going to, I think your exact words are, Put this in your fucking mouth, but, and you poured me a Brunello. But you weren't at this. You you weren't at a party. I was. You were throwing I mean, a party. I wasn't bringing you a gift at a party. You know, I wasn't trying to give but you is a it Christmas not, is gift. It, is it not the same thing? Uh, uh, it's man. not. I mean, like I said, unfortunately, you, me, Dustin, Matt, Joe, us hanging out is very different than me going to a holiday Christmas party. a holiday Christmas party at the. At, you know, if I'm dating a girl who has an office job and she's like, I just got a promotion and I'm now the VP of sales and the owner of the company is having a party and we need to bring him a gift. I'm bringing the fucking Opus One or Silver Oak or something yeah. that he's going to recognize. I'm not going to try and go out geek him. I'm not going to try and be like, hey, let me tell you about this little single vineyard in, so the, what you're trying in the hills to do of Spain. Is if you knew he was a wine guy <laughs> and you knew everybody else was going to give him wine, you got to give him the bigger dick swinging wine mm-hmm. over then. Without else. a doubt. So everybody's bringing Silver Oak and you're going for the Mandavi Reserve or the Opus One or something, yeah, basically. They're giving, him, they're giving him the 2017 and I'll show up the 2012. Mm. All right. Because well. I got it on a wine bid. No, I'm not. I don't know why I keep saying that. I'm not. I've never even ordered wines off this I've never site. had a wine bid either. <laughs> it's just like, I know what it is. It's just a good way of, it's, like I said, it's because it's an auction house of wine, but. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a weird thing. Once you start getting into that higher cost category, it, th- that self-consciousness kind of comes up a little bit where you're like, okay, is that, am I giving him the right expensive amount of money? Am I, am Am I spending too much money? Is this what he's going to like? Is it versus you show up at a party with you need twenty dollars and you don't care? I would rather dumb it down to give somebody something that they would enjoy just by looking at it than to try and yeah. explain why they're going to like it and then hopefully they enjoy it in the future and then they do enjoy it. So you're more of a I'm going to give it to you and assume you're going to enjoy it versus I'm going to give it to you and tell you why you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, I'd rather do that. I'd rather give you the better wine. I'd rather give my friends and people that appreciate something cool and geeky and funky. But even even with you guys, like, I can only get so geeky and funky. Like, yeah. if I show up with something super funky and geeky, like, Matt's going to look at me like I got a third eye. <laughs> right? It's so weird that, because you and I can sit here and we can appreciate some weird stuff. I mean, the nice thing is, while yeah. we're doing this, we're going to have, dude, I have a literal Georgian wine from 2004 that we're going to drink one day, along with this Greek wine I have from 2003, and we'll talk about it, and we'll be, well, that was weird, but you're right. If we showed that up with a party, that those two bottles would sit at the end of the table, and nobody would ever touch them all fucking I want, I've, even I, if they were amazing. It's happened to me too many times where I've brought cool wines to a party, and then the shitty, educated guest $18 <laughs> cab is just crushed, and everyone goes, <laughs> it it's, kills me. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's funny you say that because that when Educated Guests came out, everybody was buying that shit for press. They still do, you know, and that's why, once again, I get my friends, you know, maybe some whiskey once in a while and I get them something that I know they're going to like. They're, instead of trying to 
get him something geeky and small batch and funky and hey. So let me ask you this: if you're if you're gonna bring a high end cabernet, and you want it to be weird and not weird and like a like what we were talking single anyway, and you couldn't do Napa, what would you be pulling from? Sonoma, Washington. Washington. You go Washington, Paso Robles. I don't know if they make. I mean, fuck. If I get my hands on some Figgins, Figgins is good. Leonetti. Yeah, I mean, there's some really, really good products of there. I mean, that Figgins bottle with the fig on the front. Like, I think it's a blend, though. I don't think it's a. Yeah, I'm it's not, not sure cap. I think it's. I think there's a lot of Syrah in there and some other things. Um, I've only had it at trade shows. I've actually never even owned a bottle of Figgins, hmm. but that wine is unbelievably good and it's the package is awesome like that's a cool it's gift a to give bottle someone. honestly that's that's a bottle i could give somebody and they would enjoy it just from the look of it plus it's not too funky yeah versus something european that's gonna chateau whatever confuses somebody yeah but we're not even gonna reach into the europe side right. of that but so if it was america and somebody said hey we're doing big giant cab night cool cabs uh, nobody bring napa you would bring a washington yes okay Cause I, I, is there such thing as a uh, Oregon cab? Uh, honest to God, I don't I think I've. I know they exist. I know they do. They have I just, to, but I've it's never always, seen one. Yeah, and it's always been yeah. Because it's always Paso Robles, yeah, and Washington, and then certain Sonoma producers are obviously amazing. But and and there's you know with, with the crossover, there's there's you know the Carnero side of uh, Sonoma that's putting out some good cabs too. I'm sure mm-hmm. and yeah, that valley, the Sonoma Valley, and. Yeah, there's some obviously some people on the floor in that Russian River Valley up to Dry Creek doing Cabernet. I'm looking forward to diving into California wines more because I've been so focused on European wines for the last eight years of my life that a lot of the California wines have just kind of passed me by. And what I mean by passed me by yeah. is just that I'm just for not that I forget about them. It's just I don't go up there enough. I don't spend enough time up there. Do you, you know, know we what we should do one time is when we should go back to New York, bring the podcast with us and do an entire Finger Lakes like time, yes. like Sage Mom's house for the like while we'll go watch some concerts and do an entire Finger Lakes white white wine episode. We didn't bring up Turnbull. Ooh, Turnbull's so good. Turnbull is one of the best pricing wines you can get for what they are. So it's hands down, like hands, and it's privately owned still, so you got to support that. I showed up with a bottle to a party of Silver Oak and Turnbull. Which bottle's gone first? Oh, the fucking silver oak. <laughs> it's killed, it. right? And the Turnbull is a hundred times better. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because you're right. People, people will turn. I know. You're looking you're, at me like you, you sound like a leaky. My brain's just fucking. You sound like out. a leaky tire over here. Just, like you just deflated. keep letting the air out. Yeah. Man, there's just because I, <laughs> I I love I love Italian wines, but. A little bit of my soul is California that I love really cool cabs and I hate I hate mass production cab. I just don't like it. And so I find these cool little small producers and I want to promote the ever living crap out of them, but people are just stuck in this in this, you know, over macerated, over oaked, big giant bomby stuff and big name I gotta have the name more than I gotta have the wine. And I I like to break that and I think I'll see it, but if we did a hundred shows, ninety-five of them we're gonna promote small producers. Yeah. Funky stuff, esoteric varietals. Oh, I know one day we're gonna have a Silver Oak and Rombauer episode. I know it's gonna happen. Totally. Yeah. But this is 
because that's where our palettes are. But I mean, when it comes to talking about higher end certain things, especially from California, I think you just got to hop on that. You got you got to yeah, get in that mean, road. People, people do love Rombauer and for good reason. You know, it's a very drinkable wine. It's it's fine. Same thing with Silver Ostrumbo. It's just I there's take, things that I like. And this is just me. This is why I kind of go against point system. It's just me and my opinion. And if you like my opinion because you agree with it, because you and I think we have the same taste, go with what I say. And if you don't, Rombauer is not bad. Silver Oak's not bad. I just it's not for me. It's not what I like. I, I like to see the differences. I like to see you know, the terroir and like subtlety and, you know, a lot to it. And I think Napa has it. I really do. And it feels sometimes like some people just get away from it because they're trying to make that $200 bottle by having a massive jam bomb and oak bomb. And I, I feel bad sometimes. I'm like, come on, guys, like you can do better. Like you can do better. And it's, it's, and, and that's where I look at like you and I, and like this is, I think it was a good episode for this is why we disagree on something because I want to show the geekiness of, Hey, let me give you the single vineyard from a guy who has three teeth and he still has his 1959 pickup with his buddy Dale picking mm. berries out of the back end of his backyard and making 12 barrels of an amazing cab. <laughs> yeah, I'm if I show up to a party or if I go someplace with friends or I go some I'm always going to bring something along that style. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen you show up to a party with the exception of the Russian roulette bags of wine without bringing a really cool geeky wine and then two wines that go to the crowd. Yeah, but yes, I'll, I'll usually bring something that will... One geeky, couple crowd pleasers. Fit the crowd, especially if it's a larger group. Yeah. Um, you know, when I showed up to TG's friend's house and I brought the bubbles that night and they were said like, Ooh, you're the wine guys. And I'm like, I brought bubbles. You brought bubbles, man. And, and, and how popular bubbles, was I? Bubbles everybody is, was so happy. Everybody loves bubbles. You know, I didn't try it out. Geek Doesn't matter. Cava, sparkling, Prosecco, it, champagne. People it, love it, bubbles. It kills me because when I go to a wine shop, I literally have to dumb it down when I go to certain parties. Thanksgiving for me was always a dumbed down party. I had to, I had to, I wanted to drink cool, geeky, funky stuff, but I knew the crowd pleasers were going to be. You're right. I was very annoyed by Thanksgiving because I brought two geeky wines and they were drank so quick and nobody gave a shit. I brought that reserve Brunello and, um, so I brought a blend from Hourglass, which I thought everybody would drink. But I brought I brought the Brunello and one other one. Um, holy crap, it was gone so fast, and nobody and it was just like eh, whatever. Cool. But I mean, th there was a white wine that I didn't bring that somebody else had opened, and two or three other people were comparing it to Kendall Jackson at the mm -hmm. party, and that was their benchmark. And and this wine was that they were drinking was it was good, but it was no Kendall Jackson. Yeah, and I was like. Ugh. But that was their benchmark. So that's where they were at. I mean, it's Thanksgiving. It's not you, me, Matt, and us drinking. So. Sure, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Bubbles, high-end champagne. I mean, honestly, Vuve Cucot is kind of like a no-brainer showing up to a party. If and you show Dom, Dom Perignon is like showing up with like an Opus or a Silver Oak. Of course. I mean, you like, can go Crystal. Oh my God, you, you go, brought Dom. No, but Crystal, I don't even think Crystal could hit a Dom level. And I think Crystal's a, a, a much, much, much better product than Dom. Obviously, grower champagnes are the best, but Dom Perignon, you show up with Dom and everybody's like, whoa, that guy showed up with Dom. I'm still trying to remember the name of that champagne that was 100% Pinot Meunier. You're talking about the one we drank, the Mufi? Yeah. Yeah. Mufi. There was another name attached to it, though, for the Meunier one. Because I remember even. I called it Moose, Fee Moose Fills, by the way, the other night at a party. Yes. And somebody looked at me and was like, you dick. Ah, the Mousse. 
Moussé. It's pronounced Moussé. Moussé. Because that's what Andre at dinner even called it the Moussé. He goes, oh, you guys were oh, drinking yeah. the Moussé. Yeah, that's right. He, that's I think right. he was the one who called me. Yes. <laughs> the, the Moose Fills. Can I Brilliant. get the Moose Fills? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking John. <laughs> it's 100% Peter Moonier. Yes. The Moose Fills is... F- the Moose Fills. Yes. Way better than Vu. Vu Clicot. Vuevi Clicot. Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. That one, we drank so much champagne that night. Jesus. Honest to God, I don't even remember like a good end of that night just because of how much we drank. Yes, I'm pretty sure that five people should not drink five bottles of champagne to warm up for appetizers. Yeah, we had, was it five? No, we had three, I think, champagnes. No, because we opened another one up later in the middle of the dinner. Just because. Just because. What was the final tally? Like 15 bottles of wine or something? 15 bottles for five of us. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, my God. Peter Michaels and everything else. Peter Michael lineup. And the the, the idea of the dinner was supposed to be just a Peter Michael tasting. And it turned into let's drink champagne for an hour and a half. (laughs) 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 So I don't remember drinking all the Peter Michaels. We had champagne to the second course. (laughs) We drank more champagne than Peter Michael. And it was a Peter Michael dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, man. I remember being in the third course and be like, I guess we should open these all three of these Peter Michaels. <laughs> yeah, all our, all the bottles we were going to have for like the main course, it was like, we're done. We're still drinking champagne. Yeah. God dang, that it's was brilliant. We should do that again. Yes, we should. I really hope that we get a we get a good night where we have enough subscribers to be like, okay, guys, we're all going to Atlas. They have what thirty two people, and we do a oh, we do a night a at takeover. Atlas for a take a spelling the truth. Yeah, that's actually a really Atlas. cool idea. Yeah, I think we can pull that off here in a couple months. I think we could. I think we could get thirty two people to do yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll like we'll just like I said, we'll set the mics set the, up. set the mics up in the other room and just have a guest come by for five minutes, ten minutes at a time. Hey, what do you think? This is what we're doing. Blah blah. blah. All right, cool. Thanks. Bye. Have go in. Yeah, that's a yeah, great idea. So, uh, what are your final thoughts on? All right, so on these because I, I have a little bit of so, it. All right, so so both of the wines are fantastic. So, first of all, these wines are over ten years old. I think this is a perfect time to drink Napa Cab. Agreed. I think nowadays most Napa Cabs are released way too young, and I think people hold them way too long. I think that even a lot of our friends will be like. I've had this wine for 15 years. It should have been getting better exponentially. And they drink it. They go, man, I should have drank that five years ago. I think this 10-year window is a perfect window to drink these wines. Granted, these are now at 13 years. But uh, the tannins have all been well integrated. The wines have softened. They're not aggressive. They're super drinkable. They're they're drinking more European to me. The... Uh, the Cordon is drinking definitely more American. The Groth is drinking yeah, more European. Uh, I totally agree with you. And if honestly, if I had the Groth blind, I might have trouble picking up the fact that it's domestic because it is so soft and well integrated. Whereas the Cordon, that's definitely a domestic wine. Yeah. Um, still plenty of years on both of these wines. I wouldn't hold the Groth any longer. I think it's putting its stride. I think it's drinking great right now. You can. I wouldn't. The Cordon... Five, ten more years, no problem. Yeah, man, I think you nailed it on the head. Uh, drinking the court black cordon, 
you know, the alcohol's a little bit, it's not like you feel it in the back, but you can just kind of get a little bit of it. It's big, it's overripe, the nose is very powerful. It's not subtle at all. It's just in your face big. And uh, I would definitely, if you put this in front of me, be like, well, it's definitely clearly New World, definitely California. I think this is exactly what Napa Valley drinkers would like or something like that. And the Groth, I think, is honestly, it surprised me. It really, really surprised me. I thought coming out of Oakville, and even with the age, I thought maybe it might be kind of coming down a little bit. But I think it's right at that point where you were right. It feels more European. It's subtle. It's soft. It's super smooth to drink. It's that favorite five-letter word, smooth. <laughs> and uh, no, it's a fantastic wine. As he's <laughs> <laughs> You're going to count that one every single time. <laughs> I, no, the, the, the Groth is just... It's, it's, it surprised me. And I think in a way it kind of made it a little bit better only because it surprised me how good it was. Um, I wasn't expected to get caught. I, I figured it was going to be like that Rodney Strong I jokingly brought the other day and uh, where it was like falling apart. And I think this is right at the top of its peak and going to head down over the next year or two. So clearly Groth makes a fantastic Oakville cab. This Black Cordon, um, they just take it kind of from a blend from the area. Uh, their family vineyard and a little mountain cab it's set on it. But um, yeah, it, I think it's it's a good representation of what Napa can do. You have big, powerful Napa cab and subtle, light, easy Napa cab. And what I will take away from all of this is that if you're bringing a wine to a party or a wine is a gift, you want to do something a little higher end, don't just go with the word Napa. Go with one of the appellations. When you go with one of the appellations, it's probably going to be a little more prestigious. Yeah. A little more Oakville, higher class. Rutherford. Yes. Yeah. St. Helena, Rutherford, Oakville. Like this, once you get that appellation on it, now it's not just Napa proper juice. Now you've just stepped it up. And if you give it as a gift and it's an actual appellation, that's going to go over a lot better, I think, than just something yeah, Napa. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, that's, I thought these were fantastic. Use your words, dude. <laughs> yeah, Too happy. <laughs> Too happy about these. <laughs> awesome. Uh, wrap it up yeah sounds good thanks guys for listening and uh we will see you next time i think the next one we're doing is i think it's the champagne episode right before new year's no it's getting drunk with my mom are we gonna do that uh (laughs) dessert wine and cookies we're gonna yeah we're gonna find a way to get drunk with my mom all right guys next episode drunk cookies and dessert wines drunk with damien's mom with damien's mom heck yeah bye guys